Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 93 of the National Security Law Podcast, brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Tuesday morning, October 2nd. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. It's playoff time. Playoffs! I'm excited. We got real meaningful baseball. I actually had it last night. So. Yeah, it's an interesting question how meaningful yesterday's games were. I mean, yes, I understand that there's a huge value to winning the division versus the wild card, but you know you're in. Well, so I think that for the Brewers, it mattered a ton because of their pitching rotation, yeah. whereas for the Cubs, um, they're kind of set up either way. John Lester's ready to go, and uh, that's where the Cubs want to be. But, but for yeah. the Brewers, I think they would have been in trouble. I was I was rooting for Christian Yelich to get to the Triple Crown. He oh, finished yeah. one home run and one RBI shy. He would have been the first National League player with the Triple Crown since, uh, was it, um, Oh, shoot. I had this in my head. I forgot. Since, like, 1934, like, uh, Joe Medwick, right, for the Cardinals? I have no idea, but we're definitely going to hear about it on we really Twitter, are. I'm sure. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, that strikeout. After he had the three singles yep. and then the strikeout where yep. you're like, oh, this would have been perfect. And, you know, baseball often delivers those little magic moments. And let's face it, we could use some magic moments oh in this Oh, my gosh. So, uh, here's a magic moment. Joe Medwick. I had that right. Oh, was it? Woohoo! Okay, wait. Although what, it was 1930. His... I was off by three years. It was 1937. Gosh, you don't remember anything. I know, right? <laughs> what, what, do you have his stats? What Why do you let the me, why, why do you even let me onto this podcast? <laughs> it's your office. Uh, it is my <laughs> touche. Um, 1937. <laughs> uh, I'll yeah. find it. I'll okay, find come steps. back to me. Uh, while I talk about a, a very magic moment, we've got t-shirts, folks. The National Security Law Podcast t-shirts, which is a charitable endeavor, I'll explain in a moment, are, are here. And I'm going to give you the, uh, the link in just a moment. Let me explain how this works. There are two T-shirts. One is a, no surprise, a kind of a burnt orange. Let, let what? Me, burnt orange? Burnt orange. I don't have enough burnt orange in my in yeah, my you're wardrobe about to, right You're now. about to have more. Uh, it's, By the way, sorry, Joe yeah. Medwick in 1937, yeah. um, just to interrupt you, 374 batting average, 31 homers, 154 RBIs. Wow. No, that that those RBI and average totals are legit. 31 homers is is pretty good historically. It's, you know. All right, t-shirts. Burn okay. orange. All right, so t-shirt number 1. It's burn orange and it's got nothing on the front. It's got the podcast logo on the back. T-shirt number two is a dark gray. It's described as pepper gray on the site. Uh, the pepper gray T-shirt has the logo on the pocket on the front. It has a pocket. And on the back, it has uh, some, I forget how it went, but what is it? Some expertise about a few things. Absolutely zero qualifications for anything else. Yep. So uh, you have both those choices. One is $25. One is $30. Those seem pricey because, A, we used Comfort Colors t-shirts, which is a high-quality t-shirt. It doesn't actually look the way the image on the site quite looks, where it looks like kind of a shiny, almost like a workout shirt. These are like really high-quality cotton shirts. Ooh. And, I can wear them out. And there's a profit element, not for us, but actually to donate to charity. So everything above production cost on both shirts goes to ALS research, ALS of Texas in particular, which we Speaking check. Speaking of baseball. What's that? Speaking of baseball. Yeah, there you go. The Lou Gehrig's disease charity, right? So this is a really wonderful cause. Um, it supports patient support. It supports research and all the good things you would imagine. So what you're saying is we're not getting rich off the t-shirts. We are not getting anything. Well, fortunately, we're getting rich off the podcast. The company that's making them custom ink will make some money. And ALS Texas is, uh, so far, they keep a tracker on there because you can also donate extra to them. So it calculates how much for each shirt, how much extra donations. And I believe the total is already up to 350 bucks, which is awesome. Keep it going. Um, there's a race underway to see which T-shirt will sell more. Um, th the way this works is you place your order, and then once you get to the end of the campaign, which is the month of October, at the end of the month, 
assuming we sold enough, and yes, we will we will guarantee that the Strauss Center will purchase shirts if needed to get us over that hump. Um, once we get to that level, then they print the t-shirts and sometime in early November, you will all receive. So how do you find them? Well, we will tweet out the link again. We've already done it once, but if you're listening, hopefully you're not going to do this while you're driving, but if you're listening and you can write this down, uh, it's www.customink, that's custom, C-U-S-T-O-M-I-N-K, customink.com slash fundraising slash NSL dash podcast dash collection. All right. So custom ink slash fundraising slash NSL dash podcast dash collection. Or just get on Twitter and look at our accounts. By the way, the totals run out. Let's see. 19 of the orange ones sold. 15 of the pepper gray ones sold. Uh, all in a good cause, and I'm pretty excited about this. I, I I can't wait to be out in the town spotting my my custom NSL podcast T-shirt and and see if anyone comes up to me and says, "You listen to NSL podcast?" Oh my god, that would be the greatest. I'll be like, "Why yes, yes I do." <laughs> um, I, not only am I not only am I not only am I the president, I'm also a client. <laughs> Um, is, our, that, is that commercial going to date everybody? Uh, hair Club for Men, yeah, right? Hair Club for yeah. Men. Um, our, our friends to the Great Wide North at uh, the Intrepid Podcast, our, our, our sister show in Canada, um, have responded on Twitter by, by asking, you know, T-shirt's great, but what about custom socks? Mm. And so so Craig and I were exchanging Twitter comments last night. I think the one sock, the left sock could say, about to, and then the right sock could say, fixing to. How's that for a Canada-Texas uh, binational accord? I mean, we're all allies again, right? Because the because of the because of the thing that is NAFTA, but we're not calling it NAFTA. I'm sorry, that thing is NAFTA too. Of course, it is. That's NAFTA too. I'm not calling it U.S. Marine Corps Association. I mean, United States Mexico Canada <laughs> agreement. So I saw, I saw I saw like on Twitter. I wasn't paying any attention to, to this yesterday. I got and I got the alert that you know President Trump to make a statement about USMCA. I was like, like, what did the Marine Corps Association do? Or or the Military Commissions Act? Like, what, <laughs> huh? Because the MCA in my head is the Military Commissions oh, Act. Oh, it's awesome. Anyway. Uh, that's some branding. All right, so people are probably thinking, guys, remember like back after about 20 shows, you started getting feedback saying, don't digress so much before you tell us anything about what your show's about? We're stalling. Yeah, let's tell them about the run of the show. We've got some detainee stuff. We've got some <laughs> prosecution stuff. We've I feel like this could be the We should pre-tape this. <laughs> I, who says we didn't? Uh, true. Um, I think it's pretty obvious from the production values that we didn't. Uh, we've got some use of force stuff. Uh, we had some surveillance stuff, but we're going to kick that over to next week. Uh, we have some watching anyway. Yeah, Trumplandia stuff, and then we've got some grade A frivolity because uh, we were encouraged to address an important topic: buddy movies. And we have a definitional dispute on our hands. And you know I like a good pop culture definitional dispute. Is this whole podcast a buddy movie? (laughs) Actually, we should come back to that question after we debate the criteria for being a buddy movie and then apply it to ourselves and see if we satisfy it. It's very meta. I think think we don't actually satisfy it by the standards I'm going to argue for. I, well, I look forward to that because I, I, I can't wait to convince you that a movie can be a buddy movie when it has one human character and a volleyball. So, <laughs> Wilson! Wilson! No, I'm sorry. Wilson. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so before we get to the, to the actual content, um, a quick note, because uh, you know, before the show we were anticipating that some listeners, uh, especially if you didn't hear us talk last week already about what our, our view is on this, are probably thinking like, well, wait a minute, why, why isn't the whole show about the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation process or mess? Um, so before we dive in with the rest of the show, um, 
As we said last week, we've agreed to steer clear of the many admittedly hugely important questions this admittedly hugely awful mess is generating. Uh, There's there's a national security law slice of this that we spent a lot of time on prior shows engaging. Um, we've decided to leave it there. It's not that we don't have views. Uh, and, and Steve, I think actually it'd be great if you'd recommend uh, for people who do want that. Um, you just had a great podcast experience on another show. Another how, show? How dare you? I know. Uh, tell, tell, tell the good listeners uh, all about it. So it's part of TribFest. I mean, we both had, had TribFest engagements this weekend. This is the Texas Tribune Festival. Yeah, which is basically like uh, the, the Texas version of Aspen Ideas Festival. It's, it's a wonderful uh, lineup. I mean, like the, the flight from Washington to Austin. Oh, was, it must have been interesting. That was packed with interesting <laughs> folks. And then there were those that were already here were like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, you can come too. Exactly. <laughs> so um, so I was lucky enough to be on a, a panel that was also a live taping of Slate's uh, Amicus podcast hosted by Dahlia Lithwick um, with uh, our friend Adam White uh, from Scalia Law School and the Hoover Institution, uh, Christina Rodriguez from Yale Law School, uh, Angela Anwachi, An- Angela Anwachi Willig, who is now the dean at Boston University Law School, some of my favorite people. Yeah, um, it's and, a great lineup. And we had, I think, a really, I think, sober, direct conversation um, we did the Saturday afternoon, so this was, you know, after all of the chaos and drama of Thursday and Friday. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that I have a lot more to say than what I said Saturday. I hope folks will go listen to it. It's, you know, it was great to have Adam there as well because it wasn't just an echo chamber of right. people who think one thing about this confirmation process. I think that wouldn't have been true even without Adam, but Adam helped to, to round it out. You know, I... There's so much to be said about everything that's going on in the process. There's so much to be said about specifically what happened on Thursday. I, my hope is that folks come to this podcast not for general political commentary, but for something specific. And so if you want that, go listen to Amicus, because I think you'll that, that's a good hour of your time. So Slate Amicus. And is it already up? It's up. Uh, it's up. It's on Slate's website. I've tweeted the link a couple of times. Um, it's, just, it's the most recent episode of the Amicus podcast. It's called Live from Austin. Right. And so next year at TribFest, clearly when they have their podcast segments, we got to be part of that. I mean, I'll, hey, you are, you are closer friends with Evan than Evan, I Evan, I'm, I'm going to be talking to you. All right. All right. So on to the show. We've got some detainee stuff. Nothing too exciting, but we have some notes on some familiar faces. Uh, of course, <laughs> we have faces, a, new places. We have an entirely predictable Dovey Mattis update. Uh, Dovey Mattis is, has entered the, uh, the sort of the uh, joke stage where the only thing to say about it is it's been, yes, extended once again. Um, now, again, this obviously reflects some sort of intensive, I, I hope it reflects some sort of intensive ongoing negotiations about how exactly they are, in fact, going to agree to release this guy in a place he's willing to be released to. Um, the longer it takes, the more I think this really is bound up in some sort of difficult diplomatic aspect. And it's not just the fighting internally between uh, ACLU and DOJ. I bet, it's, I bet it's the external audience, the receiving state, that's the issue. Um, but they've been extended to mid-October. And so we'll be back with more Dovey Mattis at some future date. Um, it's going to be so sad when we don't get like two minutes of this podcast just to the regular, you know, another two week extension at Doe versus Maddie. I just, I mean, we've both probably been dying to do the post mortem on this yes. this whole episode. I wonder if we'll ever get to. Yeah, one day. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's like the Guantanamo detainees. So, yeah, exactly. One day there'll be a post mortem. One day. Um, so we have uh, some Supreme Court action of a very minor sort relating to a Guantanamo detainee. What happened? Paracha. Yeah, this is this is the uncle Saifala Paracha. There's there's Uzair Paracha who was arrested inside the United States, prosecuted, and actually he's the one. Listeners, 
You'll recall from this summer this really remarkable ruling by the Southern District of New York, um, by Judge Stein, I think it was, um, granting a motion for a new trial years and years after the conviction on material support charges on the ground that the later release of uh, statements from KSM and other Gitmo detainees uh, revealed information that actually would have been useful for Uzair Paracha would have probably led his lawyers not to stipulate to certain facts, particularly to stipulate uh, to his knowledge that his aid or alleged support was running to Al-Qaeda. Uh, and, and Judge Stein said, you know, this is, uh, this is a rare instance where a new trial is warranted because that evidence is now newly available and it materially changes things. So that's not what is in front of the, or was no. in front of the Supreme Court. <laughs> The issue there, I think, it was a bill of attainder claim. Yeah. So the 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 so the bill of attainder clause, just to 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 go to hit the wayback machine for a second, um, bills of attainder are basically Bobby legislative impositions of punishment, right. Um, right? When you basically whereas Steve Vladek is a traitor to the crown, section one, he is guilty. Section two, he shall be hung until dead. How about that? That would be a bill of attainder. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, anyway, so Paracha basically was making an argument um, that various of the <clears throat> sort of restrictions on Guantanamo detainees, some of the other sort of stuff Congress has done, were bills of attainder insofar as they didn't really provide for a meaningful judicial process. Um, not a, I think, frivolous argument, probably not a meritorious one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the second one there. <laughs> um, the D.C. Circuit had actually not, in, a panel that included Judge Kavanaugh, um, did not even uh, uh, reach the merits of it. They basically said it wasn't an appropriate argument to be raised in a habeas petition. Basically, this was the wrong vehicle. Um, mm. And all the Supreme Court did yesterday was deny the cert petition challenging the D.C. Circuit's procedural ruling. The only reason why I think it's mer it merits even a note, Bobby, is because um, there was an interesting notation that Justice Gorsuch um, was recused. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this, as, as our friend Gabe Roth pointed out for Fix the Court, um, this is actually a fairly consistent pattern for Justice Gorsuch, where he recuses from any Guantanamo case involving a detainee where there were high-level legal discussions when he was at DOJ. Right. And that um, was like 20... 2004, 2005. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. So, you know, it tells so you... there's a little slice that stays with you over time. Right. Now, it tells you where we are, that he's recusing in yeah, 2018. I completely agree. That right. is kind of amazing 14 years later. But, but and it also suggests that, like, it's it's not obvious that any Guantanamo case that gets to the Supreme Court would get all nine, or well, assuming there's an, once there's a ninth justice, right, right. would get all nine. If, if Gorsuch is recusing yeah. from some of these cases, obviously Judge Kavanaugh, if he ultimately is confirmed. Interesting. So there's messy vote counting problems if we're going to, you know, if and when these cases get back that to the is, Supreme that Court. That is, actually, so I hadn't known, I, I knew he'd recused, I hadn't thought about the fact that this does cast a numerical shadow over, of course, they haven't taken a Guantanamo case in a really no, long no, but time there have been now, denied, but, but there have been certain denials where he hasn't noted his recusal, right? right. So, so, so it's clearly the, the Paracha case probably had come up at some level that touched him, and that won't be true across the board for all the cases. Exactly so. So just something But, but presumably mind. that will be true for anything KSM related? Well, that's the thing, right? So, Although, so, wait, let's think about it. KSM and the black site detainees circa 2004 2005 or in CIA detention and main I don't I don't know what 
exactly Gorsuch was doing at DOJ at that time. But it's entirely possible that he was not read in on that, and he may have no direct involvement. Maybe, I mean, but it's unclear. I think is the point I'm trying to make yeah. that that there's that there is a shadow of recusal that could infect some, although an uh, an unclear, ambiguous subset of Guantanamo cases, including so so another just a a little dusting, a little sugar dusting of additional ambiguity on top of the ten layer dip Great. that is the military commission. Well, so speaking of the ten layer dip, <laughs> oh wait, do you want to mention Hernandez? Right? Yeah, so so okay, but I want to come back to the dip because okay, the dip absolutely. is getting the dip is getting here. Let me pick up putrid. the dip and set it right here between us. So the other weird thing that happened in the Supreme Court yesterday was in Hernandez versus Mesa, the cross border shooting case in which I'm counting for the petitioners, um, where the court issued, Bobby, a CVSG, a call for the views of the Solicitor General. So they didn't grant cert, they didn't deny cert, they basically said, hey, government, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think that was one of the options we uh, predicted last week, we, although we it's, not, it's not an unusual we thing. We didn't talk about it on the podcast. It doesn't surprise me in the following sense, right? Typically, a CVSG is the court saying, dear government, here's a lawsuit between private parties do you think it's worth our time, right? And if so, what's your position? Um, so, for example, in our burn pit case, it won't surprise me if we get to a point yeah. of the issue of CVSG. Right. Um, here, I don't read the CVSG in Hernandez 2 as a, is this worth our time? I read the CVSG in Hernandez 2 as, hey, guys, we've got these two cases. We've got a circuit split. Yeah. We've got to deal with this somehow. Yeah, time for you to weigh in. Do you have a position on how we should structure our review of the questions presented in these two cases. And so so I take the CVSG not as a, do you recommend grant or deny, but as a, which, how, which, which, which case vehicle? should we grant? Does that help you or hurt you if you're, so presumably DOJ wants to lock in the vehicle that's most likely to advance the DOJ position right. and, and or to run the least risk of opening the door to some sort of larger ruling. So there's an argument that from DOJ's perspective, they'd rather fight on our case than on the Ninth Circuit case because the Ninth Circuit case went further. The Ninth Circuit case, you had DOJ prosecuting the officer for murder, right? Not in our case. On the flip side, um, we presented in our petition a question about the constitutionality of the Westfall Act that's not presented in the Ninth Circuit case and the DOJ may want to steer clear of. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I actually think the the neutral right answer as a sort of pure matter of what makes the most sense holistically is to take them both. I agree. Um, And not consolidate them, argue them the same day. But actually, keep them separate yeah. for purposes of briefing and yeah. argument. They can walk and chew gum. Well, as but somebody says. Suffice to say, um, it is it is probably the best thing that could have happened for our clients, short of an, a straight grant, um, right? Because mm. a CVSG not only does it mean the government now has to take a position on what the court should do, but we get to respond. Oh yeah, it gives you a little extra bite. So we get so we actually will be able to take a sort of concluding position. Um, and and make so in, in our in our reply brief in, at the search stage we just dropped a footnote because the Ninth Circuit petition hadn't been filed yet and we just said sort of really off the cuff like hey that case probably won't raise the Westlock question so you probably should grant this petition anyway but now we'll actually have a chance to fully explicate why we think if the DOJ takes a, a different position why we think Hernandez should also be up so you get a whole extra writing assignment on Woo-hoo! top of all that. It's only 3,000 words. And might I take this opportunity to remind you and remind myself, we have to finish our chapters for our collected edition that, that Oxford's doing from last fall's conference. Dude. Do you even have a topic? <laughs> Don't answer that question. I know you do. Um, I have a topic. Okay. I have a title. I know. I'm teasing. Do you have a topic? I do. It's the whole thing about the Warsami model I, of detention just, and prosecution. I, I just say it like Yeah. Anyways, there'll be a lot more to say about that when that, over the by next way, that, few that weeks. That was a really bad reference back to Thursday. Do you... Oh, was it? Oh. <laughs> nice. Well done. Um, 
Okay, so... so am, I allowed, am I allowed to make jokes about Thursday? Is that, I, is is that it okay? too soon? It might be too I, soon. I, look, on this... If people have, we've occasionally gotten some feedback from listeners who, you know, after we've been talking about the use of military force and, and then cackling like we're on car talk, saying, you know, this is right. inappropriate. How dare you not take this seriously? Inappropriate time. It's like, listen, you know, you got the wrong podcast. We're, A, we're not the most mature people. <laughs> B, <laughs> wait, that's what you're starting, you're, you're leaving with, we're not mature. Okay. That's right. That's A. B is, you know, there there is, this podcast has a particular shtick. It's car talk meets news hour meets, you know, all these horrific events. And it's all sort of in the spirit of if you can't laugh along the way, you're going to go crazy working this field. We've both been doing it for decades. Um, that's this what, I, this I is gonna, how we that, handle it. That's what I was going to say, which is just that, like, I mean, the, you know, one can, one cannot sort of give short shrift to the gravity of the questions we're talking yeah. about just by trying to have fun with, with the, the legal intricacies. No, that's right. And people, and, you know, I think we occasionally see this. I remember at, uh, a student evaluation one time uh, blasting me for, you know, talking about collateral damage and sort of an insufficiently, uh, I'm not sure what the student wanted me to have done, but they were they were unhappy with, with how it wasn't treated with much more gravity. Um, and that's in the classroom where I, I don't, you know, obviously joke around or act as immature, quite as immature. I guess I do a little bit. And I thought it was kind of missing something that, that you, you, you can't – I thought it saw something and it missed something. It saw something important, which is a useful reminder that, in fact, these are – we're talking about both what governments do and what the non-state actors are doing – all of which impact real people, which is what makes all this really important worth yeah. our time. It's why you and I have devoted all our lives to studying this stuff. At the same time, um, going after people in any given context because they haven't struck the tone that, that that is speaking to you at that moment probably is not a productive way to encourage you know further discussion and dialogue. I mean, I just I, I agree with that. I would just say I think I think credibility matters, right? And I think and I and my hope is that at least for most of our listeners, we have a, some degree of credibility. <laughs> oh, I was worried you were going the opposite way and that we were burning our credibility and we were going to lose what matters. No, 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 to the in the other direction. That that I would think that that one of the things that happens when you get more familiar with the folks you're talking to um, is that you understand that like when they you know are being somewhat yeah for being flip flip or jocular, it's not a reflection of a lack of sense sensitivity it's just like that's how they operate you got a track record of views and positions but hey listen if you disagree great email us tweet at us exactly Um, make make a joke at our expense indeed we like it okay so there's this 10 of military (laughs) they're laughing with you no mr president they're not (laughs) is this a general assembly joke (laughs) oh man oh okay so letter dip military commissions what so what now uh, okay, so um, when last we had discussed the Court of Military Commission Review, the Intermediate Appeals Court that sits between the trial-level uh, tri- courts at Guantanamo and the D.C. Circuit, um, we had been bemoaning the fact that they had been sitting on al-Nashiri's case uh, and the government's interlocutory appeal of the abatement order in that case. Now, Bobby, for the better part of seven months. Um, well, not to worry, because on Friday, the CMCR graced us with an order in al-Nashiri's case. Aha! Uh-huh. But it wasn't about the abatement appeal. Dang it. Okay. Um, so the the lawyers for al-Nashiri had raised questions about whether Judge Spath, um, who had been presiding over the Nashiri case, um, had an ethical conflict because they discovered that he was hired as a new immigration judge by the Justice Department. Okay. And they discovered this only because there's a picture of Jeff Sessions from the ceremony where he's welcoming new immigration judges with Colonel Spath unmistakably next to him. Um, anyway. So that, is, that, is, that is some evidence. <laughs> that is some evidence. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait. 
Is he just there watching? Well, so the funny part, I mean, listen, I, I, thought, that, I, I thought that was in the news, though. When, there were there were rumors going around, weren't there? But the, but it was no confirmation, oh, right? I see. Got it. Um, okay. But the funny, so if you go and read the motion, uh, the original motion in the trial in the trial court, it's actually or in the CMCR, it's actually pretty funny because sort of parroting from the discovery of the microphone in the interrogation room, the the, the lawyers from the jury are like, the government might try to argue that this is only uh, that 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 the person who looks like Colonel Spath and is wearing a name tag that says Vance Spath isn't actually. Judge Spath. <laughs> or they might argue that it's a legacy Judge Spath. Was, they were trying to be funny. Right, right, right. Speaking of being flip in in yeah. debatable if you can't context. If you can't joke about the military commissions, then truly you can't joke about Fair anything. Enough. Anyway, so, the, CM, so the, the lawyers went to the CMCR and said, this guy was ruling on our case and was rejecting our motions while he was, uh, while he was you know, yeah. applying ad- for a job. Applying for a job and advertising for a job. Um, auditioning for a job with the Justice Department, um, that seems problematic from the perspective of the ethical rules that govern these proceedings. CMCR says? CMCR says what only the CMCR can say. A reading. Um, A reading from the the ruling. In a verbal ruling on February 16, 2018, Judge Spath abated al Nashiri's case indefinitely. Appelli does not indicate when Judge Bath allegedly negotiated with DOJ for employment. We take judicial notice that Judge Bath is scheduled to retire from the Air Force on November 1st, 2018. None of Appelli's contentions were raised before the military commission because the case has been abated. Just, just, I want to drive that home, right? Like, there was no military commission before which to raise these concerns. Thus, we have no factual record or findings of the military judge at the trial level to support Appelli's allegations for this court to review. Upon consideration of Appelli's motion, Appellant's response, Appelli's reply, and the document submitted, Appelli has therefore not shown a clear and indisputable right to relief. Appelli has not shown that a reasonable and informed observer would question the judge's impartiality, ordered that the motion be denied. Okay, so, <laughs> just so I have this straight... The CMCR is saying that the reason why Nashiri failed to make the requisite showing that the judge had an ethical conflict that could lead a reasonable observer to question the judge's impartiality is because the whole thing is abated. (laughs) And there's no judge before whom they could make such a motion or conduct such a hearing. Unbelievable. Just, just, I mean. No, I know. I'm with you. This is ridiculous. So, dear CMCR, right? If that's if not only they, chutzpah, if only they could do something about it. So that wait, let's talk, so let's talk about some of the multiple things they could do about okay, it. Give them some options. Option okay. A. Option A. Unabate the damn proceeding. Right. So, option A. Hold this motion in right. abeyance yeah. oh. while you actually decide. Well, that's just crazy talk. Okay. Um. Option B. Wait. You, sorry. Wait, just, sorry I'm wait. just laughing. No, go ahead. Okay. Option B. Um, how about conducting your own fact-finding? There's, a, there's precedent for appellate courts to conduct fact-finding, okay. right? Appoint a special master or, you know, have a, conduct a hearing, right? Have the ask, certify questions. I mean, in their abatement order back in March, they, cert, they, they asked specific questions of all the parties, right? Do that again. Ask the government. Hey, government, when did you start negotiating with Judge Spath for his current position? Like, you know, woe is us. We're, you know... Poor, dear Appellee, you have not been able to perfect your arguments. Why? Because there's no judge before whom you can make them. Too bad for you. Too bad for you. Yeah. Denied. All right, I, I'm going with option A is what should have happened there. I just, I, who thinks this is the proper way to run a railroad? 
No one on this podcast. All right. Well, anyway, so now Nishiri has to go back to the D.C. Circuit for in Al Nishiri, like, 14. Um, and, you know, if I'm the D.C. Circuit, I'm going to look at this and be like, hey, CMCR, WTF. Or, or, or get out of the way, Or get out of the way. Yeah. Or, like, hello. Yeah. Like, you know, the here is a perfectly plausible, not necessarily meritorious because we don't know all the facts, right. but a plausible concern about a conflict of interest by the presiding judge in a military commission trial. And the CMCR's response is, sucks for you. Well, you can't, you can't just not adjudicate it because of a procedural issue that is within your power to fix. Indeed. And, and indeed it's your duty to fix the darn thing. So right. So there's there's that and there's and even if you think that's that you can't, right? Then pass it along to someone who can. Exactly. Yeah. No. The sands through the hourglass. Oh my god. Keeps going. And it gets me so fired up. It's like who th- I re- like I read this order when it came out and I was like, okay. And I, and I stopped when I got to the end. I was like, wait. What? That was that was it. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, they they are they are just trying to spin us up, and they're succeeding. All right. Well, speaking of things, this will not spin us up because this is a kind of a mirror image. How about something? How about we go from that mess, that short, ah. short hot mess, to this long, calm, thoughtful document that is the International Law Association's use of force report. Um, so we're switching from prosecution matters uh, over to use of force matters, and we're going to lead off with uh, sort of a, I read this so you don't have to sort of segment on this really nifty report. It's about, let's see, 30 total pages. Too long. D- TLDR. <laughs> TLDR, which is what we're here for. Although Karen calls this podcast T- TLDL. Too long, didn't listen. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's fair. <laughs> Hashtag truth. Um, so the International Law Association is a very prestigious body. They have had in place since, I think, about 2010 uh, a process uh, of expert consultations and argumentation, very similar, say, for example, to the familiar, to hopefully to our listeners, process that produced the various versions so far of the Talon Manual, where you get lots of international experts to try to figure out what is it out there that people can agree is is uh, common ground, where are the gray areas, what are the implications of that, and can you distill it all down into an accessible report, which is what they've done here. So the use of force report, I think this is very assignable for teaching purposes. If you need something that uh, in one relatively clear, well-explained place, and I think in, in, in very fair ways, summarizes the USAD bellum slash UN charter rules uh, that govern the use of force in international affairs as a matter of international law. This is actually a great one-stop shop for you. I'll, I'll just give you a very quick rundown. Um, the main utility of it is as a summary, not so much of things that will surprise people that, or, or will enlighten people that already follow this issue, but for people who want to get up to speed. So this is especially useful for students, I would say. And it lays out stuff that we have talked about on the show before, the basic USAID Bellum framework as it exists today under the UN Charter uh, to wit. Uh, Article 2.4 of the UN Charter prohibits the use of force in international affairs, uh, but there are certain pathways through which it still nonetheless remains lawful in international law to use force. Uh, A, if you get a UN Security Council resolution under Chapter 7. B, if it's uh, collective or individual self-defense as recognized in Article 51. Uh, And then, though it doesn't count as a violation of Article 2.4, but is sort of similar to those pathways, if there's uh, legitimate and proper consent. Um, and so this is a great document for spelling all that out in some detail, but what's really interesting to me about it are the places, and you'll, you'll kind of hear me 
flipping through the document here. That's not just a sound effect? That's not... That's my fancy produce, producing. Oh, yeah, are, you, are you like a Foley artist? Totally. Yeah, that's, I think, one of those great little things about the film industry. You know, the guys that keep a box of gravel and then put their hands into boots and walk on the gravel for you. Anyways, back to the document. <laughs> We're all over the place today. Um, l- let me just say that uh, it it is pretty careful in flagging the issues such as... Oh, I don't know. When does a cyber attack have sufficient uh, scale and intensity of of effect to count as an armed attack or a use of force? In uh, flagging that that's something about which people disagree, and so there's some uncertainty. And contrasting that with areas where things are quite clear, but where it ends up uh, where it ends up having the most interesting angle is when it talks about how does the idea of the crime of aggression relate to all of this. And it seems to me that though it's written in fairly subtle and I assume carefully negotiated terms, it's definitely unmistakable that the report is going out of its way to say that when you're in these gray areas, it's inappropriate to talk about it as aggression, as, as a the crime of aggression. Whereas when you're not in the gray areas where you have some use of force that is that is not in at least at least that far into the plausibility realm, then you can talk crime of aggression. And that matters because there's a lot of gray areas identified in this report. I'm not going to go through them all, but a lot of them touch on uh, sensitive, important things such as unwilling and unable uh, scenarios, which the report suggests is best thought of as a feature of the necessity inquiry. That is, when you've got a self-defense scenario and you're using force, it still has to be necessary and proportional. And and the suggestion is that... um, even if we accept, as the report seems to accept, that you can use force uh, in response to an armed attack from a non-state actor, you still have to deal with the fact that the territorial state into whose territory you're then projecting force, that's not on them unless there's state responsibility running to that non-state actor. And the way it looks to me, the report kind of says, well, unwilling, unable may be relevant here and thus explaining why it's okay to go into, say, Syria, but it's because it's part of the necessity analysis. Uh, interesting. I think that's very contestable. But the key thing is they're saying that cannot then pave the way for an accusation of aggression by those mm. who take the view that that wasn't a, uh, consistent with the charter. Now, all that's kind of boring. We, we go through all that in part because we have a real live example to talk about. Something that was in the news the past couple of days, Steve. Uh, the suggestion that even after the mission that puts the U.S. military not just in Iraq but in Syria, physically in Syria, against the Islamic State, that we might stay in Syria even separate and apart from that mission uh, in in ways that are essentially meant to check and hopefully uh, roll back the Iranian military presence within Syria. Well, that presents (laughs) some pretty obvious issues, if indeed that's what ends up happening. We've got some USAD Bellum UN charter issues, and we've got some separation of powers issues at the domestic level. Uh, what order should we uh, talk about those in? Whatever order you prefer. All right. Let, we just talked to USAID Bellum. Should we run through the, the UN the charter? USA. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, the United States is not present in Syria by consent of the Assad regime. <laughs> Lose right? Right. Whereas the Russians and the Iranians are. Right. So for the Russians and the Iranians, their military presence is easily explained uh, from a UN charter perspective. For the United States, no. Um, I don't know so much about the Turks who are occasionally across the border. I suspect probably not. That's nobody's that, business but the Turks. Oh, is that a uh, They Might Be Giants reference? It is. Oh, that's very impressive. You know, th- 
They Might Be Giants does a lot of the kid music now on some of these kid shows. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. The, yeah. the theme song is They Might Be Giants. Yeah, they made a smart move. I think they probably <laughs> are doing, they're lasting longer with that. I, I am increasingly coming to understand how, how Disney just prints money. Yeah, no, it's I've done my part to support their <laughs> empire. Um, okay, so the United States and, and also Turkey and anyone else who's there in coalition with us who's not not the Syrians, uh, who are not in coalition with us. Um, it's the Libyans. We, so we don't have consent. So uh, we don't have a UN charter, I mean, I'm sorry, a UN Security Council Chapter 7 resolution that authorizes us to be present there. Uh, using force uh, despite the objections of the host country. The argument has been unwilling and unable, and that makes sense vis-a-vis protection of the Iraqi government and collective self-defense against the Islamic State threat, with the Islamic State manifestly in the past being able to muster and build and project force from Syrian territory that it controls. But if we stipulate that that threat is in the rear window, that that's behind us, and the United States' presence is strictly limited to, or is at that point becomes dominantly about trying to boot the Iranians out. Um, Steve, what's the argument? Uh, do you think there is an argument? No. Okay, so this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem. I mean, listen, but to me, right, we're, we're talking about sort of how increasingly thin reeds are shifting as the stated purpose of the mission is shifting, Right. Well, I, I'm not sure there's any reader. I'm not sure even what the <laughs> argument will be. I suppose one could try to say, like, well, hold on. There's still sort of a rump Islamic... I was worried that that was a trick question you asked me, by the way. Oh, right. No, no, no. It was just straightforward. Okay. So... <laughs> there's a fine line between a trick question and a straightforward it, one. I, I assume that what L, the lawyers at L, the State Department Legal Advisor's Office, would, would be obliged to say is, well, look, no, we're still there for the Islamic State mission. As a political matter, the president may talk about how we hope that it, as a byproduct of this, it, it's a counterweight to the Iranians. Um, now, if we actually imagine further the actual use of force against the Iranians, that that's going to lead us to a whole separate topic, right? Let's so let's drop down a level to the domestic law level, or, or move sideways if you prefer to think of it as just two different, not hierarchical, certainly not hierarchical in that sense, bodies of law. Um, the AUMF, Steve, can you use the AUMF to fight the Iranians? No. What about the broad idea of associated forces of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban? No. All right. Should we move on? (laughs) Listen, I don't mean to be coy, right? But, like, there's just no argument that Iran is covered by either the original text of the AUMF or even the FY22. I mean, that's that's just for detention purposes. But even there, I mean, Iran is not an associated force of Al-Qaeda. No, I'm with you. And uh, there was, during some of the, you know, the most recent round of maybe we'll have a new AUMF. Right. There was some discussion of that. There was some discussion of this where some people feared that the draft that was circulating and making the rounds – um, by talking kind of broadly about associated forces might create rhetorical space, legal rhetorical space within which a future administration would try to slip in attacks on Iran. I wrote a lot at Lawfare uh, critiquing that idea, saying that that just wouldn't be a plausible interpretation of that statute if it had been enacted. And we didn't even get that statute. So we don't even have that text to wrestle with. I think a fortiori, the existing 2001 AMF or if you think relevant, the, the 2002 Iraq AUMF, um, I, I do not see how they get you to congressional authorization for U.S. military presence in Syria to 
somehow either leverage or indeed use force to move the Iranians well, out of Syria. Well, and imagine if it were otherwise. If it were otherwise, that would be the Congress that somehow authorized us to go to war with Iran. I understand that there are people who would be happy with that result, but the notion that Congress would agree that it had done that? No, no. It, it, you know I, t- I defend I know. the uh, flexible reading of the associated forces concept for actual Islamic extremist groups that are in some meaningful substantive sense connected to al-Qaeda, either by, by pedigree or by current The Iranian uh, government is not one of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose there are people who have, have the theories about, you know, maybe there's some factual showing that could be made, but I don't think we've seen that. So uh, I think that's it for that interesting sort of trial balloon, policy trial balloon that's out there. Um, does that leave us with any Trumplandia? Have we got any Rosenstein stuff? or uh, That seems to have dissipated, right? Yeah. I, think, I think the president wisely, in my view, if I dare use those two words in a sentence together. Yeah. Backed off? Backed off. Well, um, stepped away from it at least while the Kavanaugh stuff is, is going on. Which is interesting because you think he might almost try to ch- choose that moment under the cover of uh, the the Kavanaugh maelstrom, you could kind of slip in the removal of Rosenstein. But unless I, unless you're really worried about pushing, say, two or three Republican senators to just viscerally react negatively yeah. to you. So so and of course we've argued at great length on the show that it's <laughs> we shouldn't so much be on the Rosenstein watch as the uh, Sessions the watch. Sessions watch. And, and I've seen and nothing I, there. No, because I think the president's keeping his head down. I think the the Sessions until watch, after the election. The Sessions watch will pick up in full swing come November seventh. All right, so we'll have color coded threat conditions yes. right now. Yellow. Uh, both both Rosenstein and Sessions DOJ watch threat condition yellow. Mm-hmm. You can't really go back to green in the current environment. By the way, the color the color coding reminds me of Saturday Night Live. Did you watch the cold open? Did, no, no, no. Was there color Coding? No, there was Matt Damon as Brett Kavanaugh. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'll, I don't want to open the rabbit hole. Get down the rabbit <laughs> hole. But I will say this: if you have to be played by somebody, I, I would, I would happily be played by. I was Matt gonna say Damon. so. So over there, there's a there's the artist rendering. Oh yeah, yeah. From when I'm I argued, looking at it. From yeah. when I argued in the Supreme Court in January, and it doesn't look anything like me, which would be a problem. Except it looks a lot like John Hamm. And, Absolutely. And I yeah, gotta it does. say, I, I think I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. Okay, so you get to be John Hamm. I Brett has to be Matt Damon. Well, who do I get to be? Or who gets to be me? Uh, don't answer that question. I don't think I want to know. I think a, a, a sort of a younger Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, interesting. I like that. Yeah. I think. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean that. I mean that. Yeah, I know. A... Hey, no. He's, I'll take Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> All right. Before I lose that good mojo, um, <laughs> let's. I think we're actually, for once, we finished early on substance, unless we've skipped something. I mean, I'm sure we have, but I don't want to talk about substance anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think this this is a day that could use some frivolity. And, and happily, we've got grade A. Well, before we get to the grade A frivolity. You want to do grade B frivolity? Grade B, let's just touch base with the Major League Baseball playoffs uh, ah. again, more than we did earlier. So tonight we have the, uh, the what, the Cubs hosting the, the Rockies, Rockies in the National League wildcard game? Yeah, and so the Cubs, I think, they've got not just the home field, but they've got John Lester, yeah. who is a playoff you know, near legend. He's got like, I saw some stat. He's got like 148 innings Listen, man, below but, a but three the whole, But the whole thing about the one game wild card playoff situation is anything can happen. I mean, I thought, you know, two years ago when the Mets hosted the Giants in the wild card, I thought everything had set up well for the right. Mets. You, you know, know. The Giants had to fly all the way across the country. Mets had their pitching lined up. Like everything looked good. And then, you know, what's his name? Um, oh, shoot. Who's the... The random backup middle infielder who hit the three-run homer in the top of the ninth inning. If you don't remember it, there's like zero chance I'm going yeah, to. Yeah, off of, Jay, uh, off of J- uh, Jerry's familia. So that was that was not good. Well, so I think that so you're right. There's no telling. Um, playing the odds, clearly the Cubs have. You you'd want to put your chips down on the Cubs. 
Uh, what happens next? The Brewers are hot. Are they the going to ride it hot. all the way? The, the Brew Brewers, Crew? The Brewers look really good. But, man, you know, the Braves, I, I really like... The Braves, if those young players, it's like, you know, if they if they do that whole, you know, we don't, we don't even realize this is a big deal. Like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how scared we should be. Um, you know, I think I think that could be, I, I think the Braves could really cause some real damage. Uh, it could all be just for fun, though, in the National League. Of because, course it is. <laughs> because the AL just looks like a bunch of monsters. Connor Gillespie, that's who hit the three-run home run oh, at the I, top of the night. I like that name. I, would, I still don't know what it means when you say that. That's the last, yeah. I, that's the last really important Mets game I watched. Ouch. Um, by the way, did you see the the article about uh, Gary Ronnie and uh, no? There's there's a great uh, piece. Best that, best TV best TV team in baseball. Yeah, you should dig that up. You'll it's okay. it's written for you. Gary basically. Keith and Ron GKR GKR. Okay, Buddy funny movies. movies. We got to we got to pin down what the criteria are because so I did some poking around online and I saw some suggestions. You did research. I well for that I only researched for Valdi. Um It seemed like people had some wild ideas. I. Citing movies that I don't think count as buddy movies. So, For example? Uh, Pitch Perfect or The Hangover. Are there buddies? Sure, in both cases. But there's too many. So, I, I okay, so so you are defining buddy movie by a movie in two which there are two dominant ma- characters. Two dominant characters that are in a binary uh, relationship arc with each other. Does it other. have to be binary? Can, it be, can one be a dominant character and one be a supporter? So, so Die Hard, right? Bruce Willis and, and The Policeman. Close, Al, very close, Al. but he Al doesn't get quite as much screen time. It, it's close, but they don't have quite enough to okay. really bring it up. That's okay. really more of a leading actor in in strong supporting actor scenario versus like Lethal Weapon, Danny Glover. So the Mel par- the paradigm would be Lethal Weapon, uh-huh. and so you need you or need Thelma Louise and Thelma and Louise absolutely. So it doesn't have to be gendered, right? No, it absolutely. In fact, I think it's really pernicious that it's that it's that it's always framed as you know two yeah. guys yeah. working out their differences, but. Setting that aside, it's got to be two people mm-hmm. in a relationship that starts off with uh, sort of you know very contrary, seemingly conflicting characteristics. They they have to not like each other at the start. Trading places. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Yes, because they go and so then the two characters have to go through. Uh, the, here's here's the interesting part. There's got to be a crucible, <laughs> crucible that transforms them and that leaves leaves them with a, a strong bond. Right, so how about, how about now? Trading Places yeah. has that, but there's not. This is the thing. I, I want to argue that you have to have an element of danger to that crucible. It's got to be dangerous. There's danger. Yeah, Clarence Beeks. He's dangerous. He has he a gun. Beeks. He's got a gun. <laughs> and he'll pl- he'll plant some uh, he'll plant drugs, some on, drugs you. on you. Yeah, so there's he'll a- for felonies. That's and- not danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's and also you know Eddie Murphy nearly gets his butt kicked by those two guys. He mouths off about his uh, quarter blood technique too. So there is some danger. <laughs> quarter blood <laughs> <laughs> just drops out of the man. <laughs> um, so I think you- man. so. You guys start off. Do you agree with that? You got to have two people. They're adverse. It seems like they're they're from different worlds, but through the crucible. Do of they danger, have to be people? Well, give me an example where at least one of them's not. Castaway. Okay. Wilson. But Wilson, does Wilson change in any way? Uh, you know, I mean, his color, he gets dirty. He, he gets, gets blood. Blood right? face. He gets a bloody face. Blood face. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, do either of them, I guess you could say Tom Hanks necessarily changes, but there's no bond. There's bonding. They bond. I, but I feel like there's no transformation of the character. I, that There's got to be a better <laughs> one with like a robot or a dog or something. Mm. If we think, I'm sure our listeners can supply the missing Indeed. link. Um, all right, I have a good candidate. How about see no evil, hear no evil? Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, where one's blind, one's deaf. Yeah. Uh, 
Fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy bear. Are you serious? <laughs> nice. Uh, I love. I and love there's those a crucible, two. right? There's like a. There's like. Yeah. A, uh, if I recall, there's like a robbery or something. Yeah. So I would say of the two great genres within yeah. the buddy movie category, you've got the the silliness, which often involves capers and danger, but it's really about comedy, and that's Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Uh, and then the straight up sort of usually it's sort of a crime fighting or okay. mystery solving. So one. so Rush Hour, right? Jackie Chan, yeah, Chris yeah. Tucker, classic. Um, what about Shawshank? Uh, so you have two dominant characters. Yeah, you got Morgan Freeman, um, Tim Robbins. Are they at all opposites? You could say like, well, one of them's this wealthy banker and all that, but one they're both actually, like one of them actually did it. But they're both actually kind, good souls, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and all they re- they go through the danger of being in prison, but they don't transform a lot, do they? Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, so I think I think that's just on the edge. I don't think it's quite buddy movie. How about the new Sherlock Holmes movies? Uh, is Jude Law's character as as the supporting actor too thin? Do Maybe. You, and is there ever any trans, transformation yeah. of Robert Downey's character, or is he just Holmes? Listen, my, so Holmes I'm just, unchanged. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you what my favorite buddy movie of all time is. Okay, Twins, Bad Boys, Bad Boys, Bad nice. Boys. Okay, that's good. Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. I think I I think it's you know it's all about timing, right? Like that was I was in high school. It was. You know. Yeah, that's true. Well, and so like I loved Forty Eight Hours. Yep. Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. That wow, was, we're, that we're, was we're a, dating ourselves, huh? Yeah, we are indeed. <laughs> those two. Um, okay, I think we've run that to the ground. Uh, that's sh- it. Surely we've got it wrong. Uh, totally. So All tell right. us on Twitter. But you know what I'm doing on Thursday, by the way. What are you doing on I'm Thursday? I'm going to a concert. A concert. You don't get out much. Where, I really don't. Who are you going to <laughs> Thank see? Thank you. <laughs> well, I don't get out either. So, um, Karen and I are going to see the Indigo Girls. They're here in Austin. Okay, so we talked like on the third episode of the show about your Indigo Girls obsession. Um, and uh, let me obsession. Let me, well, okay, let me let me strong fandom. Answer me this: <laughs> How many times have you seen them? Yeah, this is in the, we're we're up to the thirties, somewhere in the thirties. But I they've been going, I rest my case. Been, hey, that's over like thirty years, though. That's true. You've amortized it. Um, I saw them like. Back on the closer to fine tour, and it was awesome. Whoa, like, everything that's on the, the way back machine. Well, yeah, that, that's 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 it. Um, I do love the early stuff. I confess they've probably had like twenty albums since then. I don't think I've listened to any of it. I, I have to say, like, it's gotten to a point where it's even hard for me to keep track of all their songs because there are so many. But they're just so good. Well, they they do have that unique unique sound. It's, and there's nothing that sort of gets me out of like the doldrums, which I've been in for much of the last week. Like putting on one of their live albums, like Twelve Hundred Curfews. I or, do like that. That's a good album. Or staring down the brilliant dream. I and like their take on uh, Down by the River. Down by the River, yep. Um, Romeo and Juliet, a cover, right? I love their cover of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, you know, that's good stuff, too. There are actually a number of good covers on that album. Yes. Um, do you have a favorite song from that early days? Because if you mention a more recent song, I have no idea. So, it's very mood-dependent. My favorite Indigo, Indigo, Indigo Girl song is actually a bit of a, a sort of rare one. Um it's called Keeper of My Heart. It's off of Nomads, Indians, and Saints, and it's okay. not a song don't think I know they ever one. play live. Um, it's just it's, it's an old song, sort of. If you don't know that album, you don't know that song. But right. Amy and Emily, if you're listening, Steve would like you to play that song on Thursday night. It would be a nice change of pace. Don't mostly, you think? It's mostly an Amy song. Well, they've, um, they've got to be pretty sick of playing Closer to Fine during oh, the sure. encore. I mean, but like, listen, I mean, what all bands, right? All bands that have like one super well-known hit, right? Like that's you know, like if you're Hanson, right? What are you playing at your concerts? <laughs> You know, other than Mbop. Mm, I don't know what else they play. I doubt they're getting... Well, maybe they're out now. I don't know. Um, so actually, it's funny. Um, I'm actually going to be seeing some live music this weekend. I'm going to ACL. Um, ah. Austin City Limits Festival Weekend 1. Uh, we're just going Friday. Friday. Uh, we're going to see Paul McCartney, which I'm 
very excited about. Never Sir, s- Sir Paul McCartney. Sir Paul, well, you know, it's America. I don't know if we do the titles <laughs> of nobility. Um, but I will certainly be as close to the front as I can get for that. Um, there, who else is good? Uh, are you are you going to ACL? Yeah, I, I confess. C- I look C- at the list. C- I'm Supra, like, C Supra, C Supra. You don't Supra. get out much. Yeah, true. Um, if my kids weren't going, I wouldn't probably be I there mean, the, either. The weekends, man. Like weekends are just they're just they're a lost cause. They are. Yeah. This, <laughs> not unlike the show. That might be our cue. <laughs> the show is a lost cause. The show is a lost cause. <laughs> Episode title: uh, The Buddy Podcast. The Buddy Podcast. How about that? There you go. Did yeah. you ever? By the, so is, is Forty Eight Hours your official entry for best buddy movie? I, I it's hard for me not to actually go with Lethal Weapon, which I yeah. feel like is the most paradigmatic. It may not be the one I currently would most want to watch. Yeah. Um, and actually, probably Forty Eight Hours. I don't particularly want to watch either. Actually, my memory. I think what I, what made it stick in my mind so much is that was one of the earlier R movies I yeah. saw, and there there's some you know some serious straight up violence in that film that I hadn't seen much of at that age, and it definitely stuck in my mind. So uh, Terminator Two was my first uh, violent rated R movie. Oh, was it? Yeah. Um, so two quick cultural references just to get us out of here. So the first is. Um, one of the things I love about Lethal Weapon is that it itself has become a cultural reference. Yeah. So in the How I Met Your Mother, there's a whole shtick about the Murtaugh list, right? What's and the, the Murtaugh list? The Murtaugh list is um, things for which you've gotten too old, right? So so Danny Glover's character always says, I'm getting <laughs> too, too old, old for this S word. Yes. Um, right? this, this is not an R-rated podcast. That's right. Um, that's right. And the Murtaugh list is things for which you have bec- – things you would say that about. So for example, sleeping on a futon. <laughs> um, right, helping your friends move. Yes, um, yes, right. Like you know, a good list. Um, sleeping in a tent. Like there are all these things, right? That like you know, we've grown out of uh, taking a bus, right? Like there, there are things. You're too old to take a bus. Uh, an inner city bus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why? Like if you if you were on the Upper West Side, and need to get to the Upper East Side. Would no, you no, take no intercity, not intra? Oh, oh, you oh, mean no, oh, oh, like no, Greyhound? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the M eighty six, dude. I'm on the, yeah, the M eighty six yeah. is my jam. Okay, there you go. Um, yeah. No. It's, oh, right. Like, hey, we're going to Dallas this weekend. Why don't we just take the Megabus? No. Although people swear by that thing. Apparently, there's good Wi Fi and comfortable. I seats. understand that, but like, I'm six eight. No. Uh, fair enough. Well, um, so it's not so much a Murtaugh list as a Wilt Chamberlain list. Fair, Murt- Murtaugh, Wilt Chamberlain, same thing. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is Thursday day, Thursday, this Thursday. This Thursday. Uh, season three of Man in the High Castle premieres. You need to I gotta catch get up. On it. Okay, I did. So just so you know, yes. I know I didn't deliver on Westworld. Nope. However, I have already broached with Heather that, that Man in the High Castle is on our list. She agrees. Okay. So we're going to try to find time with... High school, middle school, and elementary school kids—it's a little bit of a mystery how that's going to happen exactly. But uh, all I'm we'll saying try. is, like, you know, catch up fast, buddy. No, we're 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 motivated. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that was a remarkably short episode. Are we under an hour? Fifty-four minutes. Yes. Stop it now. <laughs> uh, he's at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladik. We are at NSL Podcast. Um, please do check out the shirts. Yeah, for go a good cause. Holiday shopping—you can begin now. They're they're playing the tunes. I'm in the totally stores. getting that shirt for my dad. He will oh. never wear it. <laughs> you can give all kinds of regiftable shirts to your <laughs> friends. Be the first in your family to have an NSL <laughs> podcast T-shirt. Oh, awesome! Remember the uh, the window for ordering is the month of October. At the end of the month, uh, then they will do the print run. It's one of those deals. Uh, that doesn't mean you'll never be able to do it again later on. Uh, if this goes well, we'll probably just start up a but whole don't new you, campaign. But if you've made it this far through this episode, don't you want to be there at the beginning? You want? The, you know what we'll do. We'll never do them quite this way again. Right. These will be plank holders. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, uh, so we'll be back hopefully no sooner than next week. Okay. Stay safe out there. Adios.